Good morning. Are we afternoon now? Something like that. How are you guys doing? How was your night? Was y'all partying? Little animals? I went straight to bed. Straight to bed. We had about a five-hour drive, and I know there are people who have driven farther. San Diego's the farthest I've heard. Has anybody come further than San Diego? Oh, Lord. Lord. All right, they don't got no camps in Texas? I mean, I'm glad you came to Hume Lake, but I just was wondering. I don't even know who said that. That's a long way to come. Welcome, welcome. I cannot complain then. Yet I still went straight to bed. Um, so yesterday I didn't get to talk much about myself, and I don't want to use a lot of time, but um, my name's Tiana, and I um, teach down in Monrovia area. Been teaching the Bible, somebody from Monrovia? Really? Do you go to my church? Okay. Well, I asked them because we have a really large church in Monrovia, so. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. Well, I've been in Monrovia gosh, for probably about nine years. I um, grew up, born and raised in San Diego, though. Um, not the pretty part, not the part you vacation to. <laughs> but that's where I was born and raised. Um, and so anyway, you know, we've lived in the L.A. area for the past nine years. I got three girls. I meant to bring a picture, but the Wi-Fi wouldn't let me be great. So there, I have a 14-year-old, I have a 12-year-old, and I have a 7-year-old. So we are like in the teenage, Lord, pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me. You all already know. If you have teenagers, you already know. It's a hot mess. Every day is a hot mess. I'm her best friend one day and her worst enemy the next. You guys know? For no reason. Like, just go do something. You know, all, yeah, all of that. Anyway, so that's a little bit about me. All that to say, it is good to be away from home for a couple of days. My husband is here. He's here out there riding a bike somewhere, getting away from home as well. So it's nice for us to come up here and get away. How are y'all doing after last night? I know we kind of went in deep for the first night. Y'all was probably half asleep from the ride. But today, I want to stick with um, this, this, this idea of freedom. Today, I want to talk about the freedom to live the way God calls us to live. Can we do that? All right, listen, y'all were quiet last night, and I gave you a pass because I know it was a travel day. <laughs> we ain't doing that again today, okay? Y'all going to give me some, something, something today, all right? All right, all right. We'll be in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 9 through 10. And it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And take the lead in honoring one another. Uh, my husband and I, we just celebrated 16 years of, of marriage. Yes. Um, and, and I remember, he's, he's generally pretty good at giving gifts, except for this one year. Um, he came in, I remember, I actually think it was like a first year of marriage, which explains it now. Um, so he came in, he was like, okay, I got a surprise for you for our anniversary. And it was going to be a surprise, but because I know you, I probably should tell you. And so I was like, okay. We lived in Temecula at the time. And he said, I booked us a hot air balloon ride across Temecula with wine and chocolates and all that stuff. And he painted this whole beautiful picture. He said, what do you think? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. You guys, this was perhaps the dumbest gift my husband has ever gotten. <laughs> I know that sounds cruel, but he knows I'm afraid of heights. 
Like, he knows I'm afraid of heights. He's been, we've been best friends since we were 15 years old, okay? So he was with me on my very first plane ride. He saw me cry, <laughs> looked at me, and he was like, you gotta be kidding me. That was his response to me crying in the air. So he knows I'm afraid of heights, so he decides to give me a hot air balloon. Right. Like, in your, what, what were you thinking? I said, absolutely not. I am not getting in a, in a balloon and flying across Temecula with you. I'm not, take it back. Take it back. And I told him to take it back. And people ask me, Tiana, do you feel bad? They say, that, do you feel bad? No. I do not feel bad because, listen to me. If I'd have got in that hot air balloon, I would have ruined it for everybody else in that balloon, okay? I'd have been snotting, I'd have been vomiting. I would, it everybody else would have got a refund that day. So in my opinion, I blessed some folks that day by not going. So no, I do not feel bad for declining his gift. But there is one thing I do feel somewhat bad about. It was somewhat. Uh, seeing his face. Seeing his face, he was sad. And, and, and you know, we all know what it's like to pour your heart and soul into something only to have someone show absolutely no regard for it. He, he wanted me to cry. He wanted me to be so excited. He wanted me to be so grateful. That's what we all want when we do something grand for someone, right? My pastor, because my pastor, what he says is true. He says, every great gift deserves a great response, right? Every great gift deserves a great response. This is what I believe Paul is getting to at this 12th chapter of Romans. If you understand what's happening, he spent all of chapter 11 telling these Roman Christians uh, uh, that you need to understand the grace that's been given to you, that, that you've been grafted in by faith. You, you need to understand the, the whole picture of what was happening, that God had chosen the Jewish people and that now that he, he's made a way for the Romans, for all Gentiles to be grafted in. This was obviously his ultimate plan, but you need to understand to the Romans, he's telling them in the 11th chapter, you did nothing to deserve it. It's God and his grace and his mercy. He paints this overwhelming picture of God's grace and his mercy. He's telling him you were far off, but through his son, he made a way for you to be brought near. Therefore, he says, in light of that, we get to chapter 12. He says, this is how you ought to live. And he spends all of chapter 12 teaching them a proper response to the grace that has been given to them. Are you guys with me? Amen. All of chapter 12, he's teaching them. Do you know? Ladies, so there is a proper response to the grace that has been given to us. There, do, do, that was a question you can answer. Yes, do you know? Okay. Do you know that there is a proper response to the gift that has been given to us? Every great gift deserves a great response. So Paul here spends all of chapter 12 telling them a worthy response of the gift that they've been given. This is how you ought to live. And this is so important. Paul spells it out for us here. And so there's very little confusion. Your response to God's faithfulness looks like this. He starts off and he says, we all know this. Therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of worship. Okay? So he tells them this is the first response. But, but then he goes into, as you read a little further in the chapter, he goes into how, how we are then to act as the body of Christ. What that looks like. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But he goes, and this is the reasonable response. And then he goes into this section that my Bible calls Christian ethics. And he goes into a list of how a Christian should ethically be living as a response to God's gift of salvation. Okay? 
Now, he listed a long list that you can go and read. I can't go into all of them today, but I want to start with just the first three he talks about. He says, in response to the gift of God, let love be without hypocrisy. In response to the gift of God, detest evil and cling to what is good. In, in response to the gift of God, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdoing one another and showing honor. And that's all great and stuff, but the question is, how do you do this? Because we can get a list of things that we're supposed to do, but how do we actually begin to, to live into these things and to do these things? So we're going to start with these three, and we're going to talk today three ways we can begin to live into these three things that God has called us to do, that Paul is saying as a response to the gift of God. Three ways. One, number one, if you're taking notes, which you should be taking notes, I told you guys I talk fast, deal with your agenda. Number two, detach from your evil. And number three, decide to give value. I'll repeat them as I preach too, but deal with your agenda, detach from your evil, and decide to give value. Are y'all ready to learn how we can live in response to the gift that God has given us? Let's pray, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your daughters. I thank you that um, you know exactly what we need to hear and I believe you have ordained this time. So would you take this one word and spread it throughout this room? Rhema words, God, specific words um, that your children need to hear. We are listening in Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing Paul says to do is to love without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. This word hypocrisy comes from the Greek word for actor or a stage player, one who, who wore a mask to cover their true identity. So it is literally, it is literally to, to love with hypocrisy is literally to love while covering up your true motive. It's, it's me doing something for you with the masked hope that you will do something for me in return. Paul says, in light of what God has done for you, your, your response back to him is to love with no pretense, with no secret motives, in other words, without any hidden agendas. Now, for most of us, we would say, well, we don't outright love with an agenda. But here's the deal, loving with an agenda, it is not extremely obvious. Oftentimes, it is actually incredibly subtle. Y'all with me? Our, our, our agendas are subtle. So we're going to get really real in this room today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real with you because I feel like we need to begin to uncover and to deal with these things if we're going to actually live in the freedom that God's called us to do so we can live the way he's called us to live. Amen? So our, our, our agendas are subtle. So some subtle signs that you may have agendas hidden in your love. After you encourage someone... You get a little sad that they didn't say anything nice back to you. I'm gonna step on everybody's toes today. So you, you're in good company. I step on my, my, mine as well. Another, so after you bless someone, you feel a little weird about the fact that they thanked everyone else on social media, but not me. It's subtle. You do something nice for someone and you're a little let down by their lack of enthusiasm back towards you. You expected them to have been a little more appreciative than they were. Is everybody with me? See, see, here's the thing about agendas. They are often revealed in the after, not the act. It's, it's what, what does it bring up in you after the fact, after you've done whatever you've done, after you've done this act of love? What, what does it bring up to you? And if you've ever felt any of these things or anything like that, 
you've probably loved with an agenda. Anybody? Is it just me? You've loved with an agenda, right? We all have, and God says, don't do this. In response to what I've done for you, don't love with an agenda. Why? He says, because in light of everything I've done for you, you don't have to. You don't have to love with an agenda. What do I mean by that? Tiana, what do you mean? When you love with an agenda, ladies, what you are doing is you are trying to meet some of your needs through that person. We're trying to meet some of our needs. And I, and I honestly believe that this is less vindictive as it is a cry for help. You, you, you need to feel loved. You're searching for someone to appreciate you. You need to belong. You, you need to feel needed. You need to feel seen. And, and, and God is saying, why you can't do this? God is like, I've already met all your needs. I've already given you all you need. And every time you love with an agenda, what you're doing is going outside of me to meet a need I've already provided for. I'm going to say that one more time. Every time we love with an agenda, what we are doing is going outside of God to meet a need that he's already provided for. You see, you only need something from them if you have not fully received all that is available from him. You only need something from them if you have not fully received all that is available from him. God is saying, I want you to be so fulfilled in me that you are free to unconditionally love in a way that truly expects nothing in return. Nothing in return. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful place to be? But it takes work, right? Some of us are like, I, 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 you're saying I want that. Some of us are, I, I want that because you're tired. Some of us in here, we are, we are tired of searching for worth and value. We are tired of walking around with an agenda of needs, uh, uh, trying to be met, but constantly being let down by people. And we are not even doing this intentionally. But we are tired, you feel this in me. As I say this right now, you feel you are tired of trying to nurse your wounds through the love and affirmation of others. Can I say, I hear you, I'm with you. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we get to a place where we can do that? You see, in order to love without an agenda, you must first heal what's caused the agenda. In order to love without an agenda, you must first heal what's caused the agenda. I say we're talking about freedom this weekend, so this is a, how, we, how we get free. You see, when we understand these agendas, and right now, as you're feeling like, that's me, that's me, that's me, maybe things are coming to mind where, well, I did this one time, or I did this, and you're, you're feeling this weight of it, oftentimes what happens, we kind of talked about it last night, is you see this, you discover this hypocrisy in yourself. And the first thing we do is shame ourselves. Like, God, why you do that? Why did you do that? Why are you like that? What is wrong with you? We shame ourselves. We can, we can easily discover these hidden agendas, and what we do is we turn on ourselves. And we begin to hate ourselves. Are you with me? But here's the thing I've learned. This is what the Lord is showing me. Hypocrisy in ourselves, hypocrisy needs to be healed, not criticized. Hypocrisy needs to be healed, not criticized. You guys, we need to understand that these agendas that we have, they are simply wounds that need to be healed and not hated. Do, do you understand what I'm saying there? They are wounds, and this is, a, this is a, a different way of thinking about it, at least for me, because one of the best things I ever did and I'm still learning to do this, was learn to befriend the parts of me that I used to hate. 
as one of the best things I did. You see, when I talked about this last night, when I first became aware of these hidden agendas in my life and these coping mechanisms that I deserve having, me trying to get love from this person and trying to get affirmation from this person and, and you know, uh, uh, even maybe talking down about myself so that hopefully they will compliment me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We do those subtle things that we, that we tend to do. When I first realized this about myself, I spiraled into self-hatred. And I would berate myself and shame myself. Why do you do this, Tiana? Like, what is wrong with you? You should know better than to do this. You've been in church long enough. You've been in a relationship with Jesus long enough. Like, what is wrong with you? Why do you do this? And I began to get angry at myself for being the way that I am. I actually heard somebody told me, you need to hate that part of yourself. They told me that. And this was someone who I trusted their wisdom, and I began to hate this part of myself. And their words to me were, you need to kill that part of yourself. And I understand because we talk about killing the flesh, but there was a difference for me because I think that there's a fine line between hating the sin and hating yourself. And a lot of times we miss it. I think sometimes we are hating ourselves and it turns into a form of self-hatred. And I was not hating the sin, I was hating myself and I knew that. I wasn't whole enough to know the difference at that time. I used to think that I had to hate this part of me in order to heal this part of me. But I was so concerned with the sin that I was not letting Jesus address the wounds. One of the first things my therapist told me when I sat down with her in her office changed the game for me. She perceived how much I hated these parts of myself. And she said, Tiana, you don't need to hate those parts of you that are acting out. You need to let Jesus love those parts of you. You need to love those parts of you back to life. And, and that, when she said it, everything about it felt wrong. Everything about it felt wrong. Because no, this is not, this is not what, what we're taught. Like, we need to like, hate, we're supposed to hate this and hate this. And, and I began to get so confused by it that she said, no, you need to love that part of you. Why? Because there's a little girl in you that's crying out for help. There's a little girl, a wounded girl in you that's crying out for help. So she said, what would it look like for you not to hate her, but to speak life over her? And I want to ask that same question to you. For those of you guys who maybe you wrestle with shame and you are constantly berating yourself, what if you actually realize, man, this is not, this is a wound. And what if you begin to actually speak to that little girl, the one that Jesus loves so dearly, and, ask, and begin to speak life over her and let Jesus speak life over her instead of hating her? You see, here's the deal. I realized I had to start letting Jesus speak life over these parts because I, I, I realized I cannot get, crit, not get critical of myself in these moments. I need to get curious. I cannot get critical. You, we cannot get critical of ourselves in these moments where shame is rampant. We have to get curious. What do I mean? The, uh, one therapist says this way, if your reaction to something is hysterical, it's often historical which means that if I, am, if I am feeling this kind of crazy way about something, oftentimes it has something to do with what's happened to me in the past. It has something to do, there's something else going on, and I believe Jesus cares about the whole person and wants to address the whole story and the whole wound. We do not have a God who just wants us to be doing these actions just out of doing them. He wants to, why are we not doing them to begin with? And that's what I want to sit in tonight because I realize for me, oftentimes, it's just this hysterical thing, and I realize something's going on. So I want to give you an example, real life, that happened this week for me, where I had to get curious with myself, trying to figure out how to... There was a situation, I had done a lot of work to find this, um, this uh, therapist, professional, that I was trying to get for someone in my family. I had done so many research, calling all these numbers, trying to get this person. I finally found the perfect person, right? 
Very limited ability they had. Finally found the perfect person. Told a friend of mine, and they said, can I get the number of that person as well? And, and that's a normal question, and normally that wouldn't bother me. But for some reason in this moment, I got so irritated. <laughs> can I just be honest with you guys? I got so irritated. And I was just like, mad, just mad. I was like, what you mean can you get the, I spent so much work. Like, I spent so much time, and this person has limited availability, and it was all these, I was just so irritated, and I was sitting there. Then, as soon as, as, after the irritation came, and I realized how angry I was, then I began to shame myself for being irritated. And I was like, Tiana, why are you so irritated? You're so childish. Just give her the information. Is it, you know, all those things that we start to do to ourselves, like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, you wouldn't care about this any other time. Why are you tripping right now? All this stuff that I started talking to myself. Maybe I'm the only one to talk to myself like that. But I started shaming myself for this emotion that I was feeling. And then I realized, something's going on here. I need to get curious. So I sat, I got my journal. And I sat and I said, uh, asked the Lord in this space, God, okay, what am I feeling? What am I feeling right now? I'm getting a journal, I'm feeling irritated. Why are you feeling irritated? I put all this work in. And, and after I sit there for a while, it boiled down to if I give this, away, nothing will be left for me. So when I realize this, as I'm journaling, I realize I'm not as much irritated as I am afraid. I'm afraid to be without. Then I ask myself the question, where have you felt this before? Lord, show me, where have I felt this before? And as I began to sit with the Lord in this moment, I realized there's a little girl inside of me who, who didn't have anything growing up. And she felt like she needed to fight for everything and anything to make her feel okay. I, I didn't have the delight showered on me. I didn't have someone telling me I'm beautiful, someone to protect me or spoil me and love on me. And so there was this little girl inside me that felt like she missed out on so much she had to become a hoarder of the things that she did have. And I sat with the Lord and began to realize at, at one point in my life I felt like I had no choice. I had to hoard these things. And it's crazy that X amount of years later, it's coming up in this random situation that has, has nothing to do with it. But in that moment, my wounds were surfacing. And instead of me just staying there, shaming myself, Lord, 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 what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And after I realized all of that going on, the, the hoarding, the, the things that I was feeling, I asked myself, Lord, what do I need to hear right now? What does this little girl in me need to hear, hear right now? Jesus, what do you want to say to her right now? And I felt the Lord saying, Tiana, you're safe. You're okay. It feels really weird, I know. But as I was sitting there, I was like, you're okay. You don't have to hoard everything anymore. You are not in danger anymore. And let God begin to speak to those wounds. And this is a process that we have to go through as we begin to come face to face with our emotions. Amen? And this is a process that we have to go through. There is a wonderful book called All Together You by Jenna Reemersma, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Jenna Reem something, all together you, you can look it up though. But it's a fantastic book, but it's one thing that I feel like it's been a, a process I've been in because I feel like so many times we get stuck. We just get stuck. God says love, we don't know how to do it. And then we shame ourselves, but God's like, no, no, I'm, I'm calling you to, to figure out why. Figure out what's going on. Don't criticize, get curious. Ask yourself, what is happening? So when we think about loving without hypocrisy, this is what we need to do. Examine our hearts as we extend the hand. We need to examine our hearts as we extend the hand, as we love, examine our hearts. So after I'm doing, after I do something, I ask myself a question like, 
when I just encouraged them, why am I sad they didn't say anything nice back to me? And sit with the Lord with that. What did I want them to say? What do I need to hear right now? God, what wound are you trying to speak to? When I gave them that blessing, why am I feeling weird about the fact that they didn't, they didn't give me no social media shout out? Or they didn't, they didn't respond the way I wanted them to respond. Why did I need that recognition? Why did I want that recognition? What, what, what need in me, what wound is there in me that needs to be dealt with? God, I invite your healing process. I invite your healing words to speak to whatever it is that is causing me not to be able to live according to the way you want me to live. These are questions we have to begin to ask of ourselves. Because then we get mad at ourselves that we just, we're just not living according to scripture, but there's a reason why. And God cares about the whole person. Listen, having an agenda of needs is not wrong. We just have to make sure we're getting the right person to meet them. Amen? He's already given us everything we need. He's already given us. We just have to intentionally get the tools to start accessing it. That he can heal us and remind us of who we are and, and, and where we are and that we're, we're safe and we're, we're okay. That we can begin to realize why we're acting out. He's already given us everything we need. I don't need to love you to get something back from you. I just need to love you because that's what God's called me to do. Amen? Amen. First thing was, what was it again? Deal with your agenda. Second thing, detach from your evil. He says... Detest evil, cling to what is good. This is your response to the gift that God has given you. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Detest, to, uh, detest means to, to abhor it. It's to develop, a, to develop a bitter hatred of evil. Develop a bitter hatred of evil. What is evil? That's the question I ask when I'm reading this text. Now, well, what is evil? We think of sex trafficking. We think of child molestation. We have all different things that we consider evil. And if we look at those things, yes, I hate evil, right? We're all good. We hate evil. We can look at insanely bad things that we would never think of doing and say, yes, I'm doing a good job of hating evil. But are we, though? Are we? Let's see what God says is evil in his eyes. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. So there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Y'all hear that? That's evil. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. People that just instigators, just messy folks, causing just discord among the church. What'd you say? Drama. Drama. The, the, all, all, God is like, this is evil. He puts a lying tongue in the same list as a murderer. That hurts. It's, all, it's evil to God. And, and when you think about it that way, we may not hate evil as much as we think we do, huh? In fact, not only we may not hate it, but we may be active participants in it. Can we talk about it this morning? I'm going to do it anyway. God says we are to detest it. Detest it, not just because, though, of how it harms others, 
but he detests it because of how it harms you. Mark 7, 20 through 23. And he said, Jesus, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Look at what God calls evil. This is what he's telling us to hate. Slander. Do you hate it? Or is what you said not that bad? Oh, we quiet in here now. <laughs> Coveting. The desire for just more things, things other people have. God says it's evil. Do you hate it? Or do you just have to get that thing you saw on HGTV? Like you have to get whatever they had at their house, I got to get it too. Do you, do you hate this, the, 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 the idea of coveting? Sensuality. Do you hate it? Or is watching Game of Thrones still acceptable? I, and I'm not trying to, I'm not even judging. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get us to think. I'm trying to get us to think about do we actually hate? He says, this is, this is a response. I've given you what I've done for you. This is a response. Do you hate it? Because here's the deal, y'all. As soon as sin becomes less than evil, it becomes kind of acceptable. As soon as sin becomes less than evil, it becomes kind of acceptable. And I fear that we have become more apathetic to evil than abhorred by it. We have become more apathetic to evil than abhorred by it. Somehow, ladies, we have begun to accept things as normal that we are supposed to be abhorring as evil. And so we got to talk about it because God says you can't do that. This is your reasonable response to the gift that I've given you. You got you, you to hate it, abhor evil, detach yourself from it. Why? Why, he says, because it defiles you. It defiles you. Defile is to ceremonially, the ceremonial defile is by treating what is sacred as common or ordinary. I'm gonna say that one more time. To defile is to treat what is sacred as common or ordinary. Can I just tell you something? Ain't nothing ordinary about you, boo. Nothing. God says we are sacred. He, he has set us apart set us apart holy, we are masterpieces, temples of the very living God. And God is saying when you engage in evil things, like the things we talked about before, you are defiling yourself, you are treating yourself as common when you are sacred. When I've set you apart. And what happens? When you treat sacred things as common things, they may not lose their value, but they for sure miss out on some of their potential. 
they for sure miss out on some of their potential. There's a, a story about a lady who went to a thrift store and she was getting a painting. She saw this painting, ugly painting, and she, <laughs> she said, they, the thrift store lady said it was $8. She said, I'll give you five. She got the painting for $5. Went home, they were planning to drink some beers and throw darts at it. So, uh, but her friend came over. Her friend was dated an art teacher. And the art teacher said, gosh, that looks like a Jackson Pollock. And the lady was like, who is Jackson Pollock? She said a couple of extra words in there, but <laughs> not necessary. Who is Jackson Pollock? They began to go through this process to find out if this painting was an actual Jackson Pollock. Turns out this $5 thrift store painting was worth $50 million. $50 million. Right? It's now hanging where it belongs in all of its full uh, potential in an art gallery, right? But a million, $50 million painting, living a $5 thrift store life. It's a shame, isn't it? God feels the same way about us. We are masterpieces. We are, there is absolutely no price that can be put on us, but when we continue to attach to these things, what we are doing is defiling ourselves, treating ourselves as $5 thrift store finds when God says you are a $50 million masterpiece, boo. That's who we are. But when we continue to attach ourselves to these things, God said, you cannot do that. You are living outside of what you are called to live on. Uh, there is more for you. I created more for you. And it does affect your potential. It affects what you being and doing all that you're called to be and do. Do y'all see that? You see, when the heart is compromised, potential is sacrificed. When the heart is compromised, potential is sacrificed. That painting was sitting in there with some, for $5? The lady didn't want to pay $8 for it. But now it, it exists where it's supposed to exist, right? And there's so many of us that we are not existing where we're supposed to exist. We're not living how we're supposed to live because we are constantly attaching ourselves to the things that God says you have to detest. You have to detest it. So I know you think it's not a big deal, but that sensuality you keep letting in your eye gate, it's affecting your potential. I know you think it's not a big deal, but the time you're spending obsessing over what you don't and don't have, it's affecting your potential. The anger that you have stored in your heart, it's affecting your potential, and God is saying, I have more for you. So how do we do it? How do we begin to detach from evil? Oh, I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> but thank you for the invite. Four ways, get fed up. First thing, get fed up. Get fed up with living outside of your potential. Some of us are comfortable here. We're comfortable just no rules, doing whatever we want to do, watching whatever we want to watch, talking however we want to talk, hanging with whoever we want to. Get fed up with living outside of your potential. Realize that God has more for you and determine in your heart that you are going to get it that you are going to live the way that God has called you to live. The first way to get fed up. The second thing you need to do is get honest. You need to get honest. Because here's the deal. We're supposed to detest evil, but it is hard to detest something that you benefit from. 
It's hard to detest something that you benefit from. So we need to get honest about how we are benefiting from this evil. I benefit from this sensuality uh, that I'm watching or I'm obsessed because it allows me to not have to fight for true intimacy. And I'm scared. Can we get honest about it? I benefit from the slander because it makes me temporarily feel better about myself and I hate myself. We gotta get honest about it. I, I benefit from, from covenant because it fuels my ambition to work harder and that affects my worth. I am what I work for, I am what I have. We have to get honest about it because God, he doesn't just want us to offer up the porn or offer up the show, he wants us to offer up the part of us that's so afraid of true intimacy. Do you understand that? He doesn't just want us just to offer up the jealousy. He wants us to offer up that part of us that, that feels like we've been slighted and, 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 and we don't trust him. There's something deeper he wants to get at. So we got to get honest about those, those wounds and stuff that we're carrying. Third thing is get help. Ask the Lord, just like David. David said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. We have to get help. Ask the Lord to show you. He'll meet you in it. Seek out a therapist. They'll meet you in it. Ask, ask for help. And the last thing is we've got to get to good. How do you get the bitter taste for things out of your mouth? You start eating on sweet things. He says, detest evil, cling to what is good. This word is literally glue yourself to what is good. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, are just, are pure, are lovely, whatsoever things of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We cannot just remove, we have to replace. Amen? Amen. Because when the heart is compromised, potential is sacrificed, and God wants us to be all that he's called us to be. Amen? Last thing. We're going, well, we're not going home. I'm used to preaching at church, so you guys go home. You guys are going back to your cabins. We'll meet again later. Last thing, no. I'm about to be done. There's a response to the great gift of God. Decide to value. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. This is simple. Sounds simple. Jesus says, in light of what I've done, Paul says, in light of what you've done, uh, love your brothers and sisters. And not only love them, but take the lead in honoring them. Take the lead in honoring them. Uh, one translation says, outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine if we all lived like that? If we lived outdoing one another in honor. This word honor is literally means to, to the worth or value someone has. It's to value someone as God values them. Wouldn't that be amazing? if we live valuing each other. But here's why, some of the reasons why we don't, there's a lot of reasons why, but oftentimes we're just so caught up in our own worlds, on our own problems, we, we, we don't, do not honor each other. We don't have the time, we don't have the capacity, we don't honor each other. But another reason, and we kind of talked about this earlier, is we feel so badly about ourselves that sometimes it's even painful to speak well of others. Is anybody, am I the only one? I've been in that place where it's been hard to compliment other people. It's been hard to like, because I feel so bad about myself, I don't honor the Imago Dei in me, how can I honor the Imago Dei in you? Does that make sense? You see, this is why it's so important that we have to do the healing work in the presence of the Lord that we've been talking about today and last night, because one, guy, one Richard Ward says this way, he says, if we don't transform our pain, we will most surely transmit our pain. If we don't transform our pain, we will surely 
transmit our pain. Y'all, we have too many believers who are not being spiritually transformed through Christ, emotionally transformed through Christ, and because of that, we are transmitting to each other everything except what we should be transmitting to each other. We're transmitting hate when we should be transmitting honor, transmitting jealousy when we should be transmitting love. And Paul says, in light of what you've been given, you, an ordinary person, can do the extraordinary. You can have your pain transformed so you don't have your wounds transmitted. If everyone found a way to get outside of their own world and honor each other, can you imagine the healing that could happen? In the church first, come on. Were we in a situation in the church? And then in the world? Can you imagine what would happen? I have a, a, my seven-year-old, on social media, we had a time where she was giving weekly encouragement to uh, my followers. And she, I, well, she just wanted to encourage people. And I, she's, she's a natural encourager. She wants a YouTube channel. I said, Buddha, it's as close as you're gonna get. <laughs> you can come on my Instagram and speak the word of God over people, that's about it. So um, anyway, she would come on and I would post her message on Sunday nights and we would just speak over people, speak well over people. Watch this video. awesome because we would sit and we would do Bible study over that scripture. Not long because you know the intention of a seven-year-old, but we would sit and I would explain to her what the scripture meant and we would just have this moment talking about it and what you're about to do. And I said, put this in your own words. Like, what could you say that just, you know, could say the meaning of that scripture and how can we just speak over people as they start a week? And weeks were hard, especially towards the beginning of this pandemic. Weeks were hard. So I said, how do we do this? And people, she did this. People were messaging me. I mean, this thing got like 13, 20,000 hit, everyone was watching this thing, right? And people were messaging me like, I needed to watch that today. I was so stuck in my bed and she made me want to get out of bed again. It was crazy how God was using it. it people, I, I, I was so down on myself, but I knew I needed to get up and exercise. And because I came on and saw Karis, I got up and I exercised today. It was little things like that, but I realized, man, if we were actually loving each other, and speaking well over each other the way that God calls us to, the game would be changed. The game would be changed. People are waiting to be loved and seen. It's our response. Every great gift deserves a great response, but sometimes in order to respond correctly, we first need to deal with the reasons we are responding incorrectly so we can be free to live the way God calls us to live and to do what God's called us to do, all right? Let's deal with the hidden agenda of our hearts. Let's deal with the wounds that allow us to keep benefiting from this evil. Every great, great gift deserves a great response. Amen.